all the areas I'm hunting are, they're not super remote. You know, the, the biggest elk don't live in the mountains and that's why I don't hunt the mountains. They, they live, they live where the winters are easy. They live fairly close to agriculture where the food is good. They live where there's low hunting pressure. I mean, anywhere you can generally hunt with a rifle, I don't, I don't hunt elk. Like they just can't live long enough. So I kind of have a spreadsheet or kind of a, like a, a checklist of things that like, I don't hunt general areas, like general rifle areas for elk. They just don't live long enough. It's hard for a 10 year old bull to not get caught somewhere where somebody's got a rifle during, during our six week rifle season. Welcome to the Hoyt Bow Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Bolin, and I am stoked today because my good buddy, Brendan Burns, has joined us. And I'm sure you guys are all happy and excited to hear from Brendan. I'm sure that's why you clicked on this podcast. Brendan, what's up, buddy? How's it going, man? Fantastic. Fantastic. I mean, I can't believe I'm getting you on a podcast in early September. I, I cannot believe that. Yeah, I just got back from the Yukon uh, sheep hunt up there, and then uh, yeah, opening day elk season is tomorrow, and I'm I'm actually not going to be out hunting. I got some family stuff I got to take care of. Whoa, you're saying yeah. Montana elk season? Brendan Burns is not hunting the opening day. No, I'm not going to hunt the opening day, but uh, I got about <laughs> twenty. I got twenty nine behind it that I think I've got about three things in the whole month scheduled. So it's good. Uh, it's been really dry and hot here, so I, I'm not. Uh, it's not that big of a deal. And, uh, Hey man, family time. Sometimes it's not that often that something gets in the way, but, uh, when it does, it is what it is. Yeah. Well, like you say, it's just one day, but I know that Montana elk hunt, I mean, we, we need to do a little intro, uh, just in case some of our guests don't know who you are, but, but I, I will say just to start off, Brendan is, uh, unbelievable Montana elk hunter. He has killed some giants over the years, including, one well over 400 and and multiple over over 370 like a bunch of, a pile of good good bulls that he's using a general tag and uh just uh, incredible success elk hunting in montana and uh, i think i don't know i mean you've done a, a lot of incredible things hunting you've killed giant brown bear and grizzly and and a ton of sheep and a lot of things but i'd have to say that your portfolio of elk has got to be, you know, the, I mean, the most impressive thing that, that you've done. It's, it's unbelievable. So Brendan's really oh, well known yeah. for quite a few things and, and let's do the intro. So Brendan is, um, the, the CHO at Kuyu among a lot of other things, but that's for those who don't know, I had never heard of this before. That's the chief hunting officer. So, you know, a, a, a company is pretty serious about their hunting when they have to have a chief hunting officer, but Brendan, tell us a little bit more about yourself. What, what would you, how would you describe yourself and tell us about your family a little bit and, and what yeah, you I'm a lifelong Montana resident lived, uh, lived here my entire life. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean the, the, I, I'm, I'm the chief hunting officer at Kuyu conservation director. I've had a lot of different roles. I'm in the first employee at Kuyu. Uh, Jason hired me in, in 2010 and it's been a, been a really cool, uh, yeah, it's been obviously to, to work in the industry is, is, is a dream come true. And, uh, yeah, I mean like, you know, I, I've, I've had a pile of opportunities, more opportunities than most people. And, uh, yeah, the, the sheep and big bears and elk are really my, my passion. Um, I, I, the advantage of living here in Montana is that I get, um, I basically can draw like a lot of the elk I've killed are not like it's a, it's a over the counter tag and a guaranteed draw on a permit. So they're basically over the counter. And, and one of the cool things we have in Montana is I have basically an opportunity to hunt big elk every year, which obviously allows you when you look at our, you know, states like where you're Utah, Arizona, all these other states. Um, I mean, I have, yeah, it's like one in 15 years here. Yeah. I have, I have an opportunity every year to hunt top quality, you know, giant bulls and, and, you know, with, with that comes experience. I mean, it's basically been basically a month of my life every year or, you know, or more for the past 25, almost 25 years. So um, that's, that's, you know, you gain a lot of experience, you get a lot of you know, had a lot of opportunities and, you know, that leads to, you know, a, a yeah. lot of, I, I imagine when it comes to elk hunting, you, you feel extremely confident in understanding like what's happening, what you need to do to get the job done. I mean, compare it like, say, say, you know, you hunting year three compared to today, is there a huge difference? 
You know, it's funny. Yeah, there, there is a huge difference. I mean, I wish I knew 20 years ago what I know now. Um, and, and I wish I had the energy from 20 years ago that I today that I that I had back then. So I think <laughs> you just become smarter. I'm a better shot. Um, I, the hunting is not I wouldn't say it's as good. I mean, there was a lot more opportunities even 20 years ago. I mean, I, I, I find myself uh, I feel bad for guys starting out right now compared to what I've lived through. I mean, there's a reason I've killed but had the opportunity to kill a lot of great big bulls and it's because, you know, there just wasn't the people, there was more opportunity earlier. Like I totally recognize that. I mean, it's even when I talk to to guys like Randy Ulmer and, and, you know, some of these guys that have killed that, that started their points in the early eighties. I mean, they've had so much of an advantage and so many more opportunities than even I had. And, and I look at it now from 20 years ago, um, you know, the opportunities I've had compared to what, if you start right now, I mean, there's just flat more people out there. Um, right. So I, the one thing, the biggest thing that's changed in Montana is you can't outwalk people. You have to outthink them. I mean, anybody who thinks like you're just going to throw a backpack on and just get way deeper than everybody else and go kill a big elk, oh, like that couldn't be further from that could not be further from the truth. Really? You have to out, you have to outthink them. Like okay, all the all the areas I'm hunting are they're not super remote. Um, you know, the the biggest elk don't live in the mountains, and that's why I don't hunt the mountains. So gotcha. I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> they, they live they live where the winters are easy. They live fairly close to agriculture where the food is good. They live where there's low hunting pressure. I mean, anywhere you can generally hunt with a rifle, I don't, I don't hunt elk. Like they just can't live long enough. So I kind of have a spreadsheet or kind of a, like a, a checklist of things that like, I don't hunt general areas, like general rifle areas for elk. They just don't live long enough. I mean, gotcha. it's hard for a 10 year old bull yep. to not get caught somewhere where somebody's got a rifle during, during our six week rifle season. So unless um, it's highly controlled. Like on a, yeah, on a, that, on a strict draw. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you'll hunt units, months. units that are on a, a rifle draw, but you can hunt them with a bow every year. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Correct. Yeah, for sure, man. Oh. Well, so I know, um, I know you had a, a really amazing street going of, of Montana dead elk. And how many years was that? But I think it was 18. 18 years. And then last year was, was the year you didn't notch your tag, right? Yeah. I had a, I had a tag in Wyoming last year. So I, I I really killed your bull in Wyoming last year. Yeah. And I had a goat tag in Montana and I just, it was kind of one of those things I had to prioritize. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, that I just, yeah, basically I had a, I had a, I actually, I'm trying to think. Yeah. I, I actually, the year before I did not kill an elk, um, in Montana. Oh, that was the year. Yeah. That was the yeah, the I streak just streak breaker. That's right. Okay. I don't, I don't, I don't look at it like a streak. That's not something I ever kept track of. Like, yeah. I, 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 I look at it as opportunities. I mean, even if I, if I'd have had a, a, a big bull that year and I'd have missed him or something would have happened, I would have go like, Oh, that was my opportunity is what it is. Like I, one year I just, I just flat didn't run anything that interests me. And yeah. Um, and you know, that happens. I mean, like I said, it's once certainly. Uh, I've, I've, I've said a lot, a lot of times, like once you get up to where, and, and I don't have like a minimum type elk that I'm looking for, but like when you're hunting really big bulls, um, it's not quite as fun as when you're just trying to get one. I mean, it's just right. not like, it's, it's a lot more of a challenge, especially when you're, you know, North of three fifty is what you're looking for. And, and, and even North of that, you know, depending on what you see. So, you know, sometimes you can't kill what you can't find. And, and you just had one of those years where it just didn't turn one up and, that, and that's, that's just hunting. I mean, that's just, that's it just is. how it goes sometimes. You know, I, I think it's very interesting that, you know, your comment that I just didn't see anything that interested me, you know, and, and you know, I'm not saying there's a right or wrong way to do things, but just a, there's different perspectives on how to approach hunting. And some people will say that, you know, let's just call it trophy hunting, just, you know, that, that there's, there's something wrong with trophy hunting. There's something, you know, inherently wrong with, with trying to, to hunt a big set of antlers or an animal with a big set of antlers. And my view, you know, as somebody who does that, like you, my view is it's from a certain point of view, it's the exact opposite. Like I am not a bloodthirsty hunter that needs to kill something every year or every hunt. I am very picky. I'm very methodical. And I would rather, you know, kill that, that old giant animal than just fill my, my desire to shoot something, you know? And I would say that sometimes, you know, there are people who just like, I'm going to shoot something every single hunt. Okay. So what's, you know, not that there's, like I say, there's just different perspectives, you know, I mean, the guy, it it just, what, what do you enjoy? You know? Yeah. I I enjoy the challenge. Like to me, it's not that hard to kill an elk. 
Uh, I mean, I look at you know, like it, an elk before they're six years old. In my opinion, they're they're not they're not even they don't even have a fully formed brain. I mean, like when you've <laughs> hunted really smart bulls that have had every trick in the book thrown at them, and you in in like and you finally you know can kill one of those great big bulls like first of all they are the smartest period end of story they hang out with like they've got the most protection around them they hang out with the oldest cows they've seen all the tricks in the book like this whole thing of like well they're not that smart or anything i because i you know you hear guys say like like great big old bulls are a different species than just elk they just are and and it's all your perspective i love the challenge I, i i love hunting great big bulls i've had a lot of success at it and I feel like I'm getting better and better every single time I go out there. But I, I love that challenge. It's not that much of a challenge just to get one anymore. And that's that's and it's all your perspective. I mean, my when I started elk hunting when I was, you know, my I killed my first six point when I was 16 years old. I, and it was only a six point because it it wasn't a spike. I mean, right. any elk that stepped in front of me was gonna die. Like, hey, that like everybody's gotta start somewhere. Um and and yeah, like I said, it's it's just one of those things. I enjoy the challenge of it. You know, there's all, you know, I think people make excuses as to why, you know, like, oh, you know, they're not like the best eating elk I've ever had are always giant bulls. I've never had a bad one. That's all BS that there's nothing to that. And, you know, I only get one tag a year. You know, if you go out and just kill one on the first day, I, I like I love hunting elk. I don't love taking pictures of dead elk. I don't love having it, having my tag punch. Like I love hunting elk. Right. So my, my, from my perspective is like the longer I can do it the better. Um, yeah. and that's, that's how I feel about just about anything anymore. And, and things change as you get older and you have more opportunities and, you know, like, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, I got a pile of great big bulls hanging upside down in my rafters in my garage. It's like, it, it's not like I'm dying to have another elk mount or, or, you know, take the time to boil out a head or anything like that. Like I love hunting elk. You love the challenge. I love the challenge. The chess match, the, yeah. the effort, yeah. everything that it takes to get it done. Yeah on a very old mature smart bull that's awesome so awesome the harder the the harder the better i mean you know and it it applies to anything i mean i had a goat tag last year and and i actually did not think it would be as difficult as it was on this goat but i I was looking for a great big monster old billy and you know just like elk or anything else like these 10 year old 12 year old billies that i was hunting they were not like the nannies and kids and the three-year-old billies. I mean, these things are, they're, they're, they just, they've seen it all. They've lived it all. They're efficient at living. They live in the nastiest stuff and they're, they're tough to hunt. And that's what makes it. There's not as many of them. There's not as many of them. There's only a few of them. And the ones that, you know, the ones that are still alive, they're alive for a reason because they've developed certain habits and patterns that have kept them, you know, as not low hanging fruit anymore. Right. Um, it's so interesting. And so, so how you, you say that, that goat hunt turned out to be tougher. Yeah. You think of a limited entry Montana goat hunt, probably not that hard to fill your tag, but now you put this other criteria on, you want to, you know, a seven to 10 year old Billy, like that's a totally different thing. So how did that go? Yeah, it was tough. I mean, like I, I spent all summer scouting me and my son spent a bunch of time in the mountains. I identified a bunch of big billies thought I was going to just slide on in there and arrow one on day one. And, and that's just not what happened. It's just, that's, that's just how hunting goes sometimes. Like, yeah. I think I spent about, uh, I'd have to look at my nose, but you know, North of 25 days, uh, hunting, I ended up killing it October 10th. It started September 1st. And, and I just like made it like not mistakes, but just had everything go wrong that could possibly go wrong. And, you know, like I missed it. I missed a big one early. Okay. What happened when you missed? I uh, I made a I just a just a pilot error on my pa- far, Paul my part. I uh, I shot all summer with the same rangefinder, and like two days before the season, I decided to change the battery out. And I took the battery out to get because it was starting to get like I could see it yeah, was yeah. down to, to half, and uh, it reset on me from archery mode to true ballistic range, and I didn't catch it. And so like I came over oh on this gosh. thing. Go with 72 yards, super oh. steep. I should have shot him for 49 and I shot him for 72 and I shot, you know, three times right over. His, I could not figure like, cause I was like, oh, maybe the first shot I was like, oh, maybe that was, maybe that was me. Maybe I just blew the shot, you know, second shot, rock solid. No problem. Like where'd it go? You know, I couldn't figure it out. Third shot. He had no idea what was going on. Three times. I mean, you want to talk about emptying your quiver? You like you just feel like a moron, and 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 it it just didn't click on me. Like I'm I'm looking at the range and the whole nine yards, and it like it was gone. He 
like no big deal. Goat walked out of that little, you know, he was in a cut straight below me and he didn't, never really even knew what happened. And you never, and you, did, you didn't end up shooting that Billy. I did not end up shooting that Billy. Yeah. You know, that Billy actually had one horn. It was, he was yeah, broke off I, on I, one side. I remember side, you but, sending pictures of yeah. that Billy, a super old, massive body. Oh, huge. Yeah. And so I, 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 and it took me a day to figure out, like I went back and like reloaded and, you know, like, and, and, uh, and, and you're went thinking and there's something and, wrong with your bow maybe, right? I could, I just flat couldn't figure it out. Yeah, and I, I finally I got that. to where I was range finding stuff and I was shooting in this deep cut that was similar to what I was doing. And I was like, oh man, I'm, I'm way high. And so I, I start and I looked at my, bino, I'm a range finder. Like, oh, it's on TBR. It went to, it went to rifle mode. Yeah. And so I actually walked oh right back gosh. up to where I missed, walked right back up to where I missed that goat. Used, used the th- same thing, did the t- cut, shot it for 49. There was, there was a little rock down there and pff, no problem. I was like, okay, <laughs> done. Just forgot about it. Like, okay, we're reset, done. And I never had another opportunity to stock a goat in a really good place for, for damn near a month. And it was just, they were just living in the timber. They were um, bad wind all the time, living in the timber. And I just like, you know, it's three and a half hours around every time you stock one around one of these big canyons. And I, you know, I'd get around, move in on a bed. They'd be moved, and I wasn't I wasn't prepared to blow them out or spook them, and I'd have to go back around. And then, you know, it's just like anything. You just grind away. You keep going and going. And I was just exhausted. And October, I can't remember what day it was. Like early October, I rolled in there, and there was one one of the big billies I've been watching all year was bedded in a perfect spot, a place I'd actually camped before up up near there, and went up, slid into ten yards, and 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 thumped him. You know, like oh, one of the, man. one of the ones I've been watching all summer. And so it, it just, was just easy when it happened. It was easy. Yeah. Yeah. Just the right place. It just happened to be 30 days into your hunt yep. or whatever it was. Well, and that's, <laughs> and that's, how, that's how it goes sometimes. Yeah. You know? That's just. It's so true, man. You know, sometimes we make plans and sometimes those plans come together, but it, it seems to me like, you know, it, it's, it's the minority of the time that the plan actually goes as planned. You know, a lot of times it's just, you get out there and everything goes sideways. And that's one thing that, you know, when you're, when you're learning about hunting and you're, you say you're watching videos and, and you're reading articles and you're looking on social media, you're seeing the successful hunts and you're seeing when things went right. And a lot of times the people make it sound like, yeah, I had planned to do this and here's how it happened and it worked perfectly. And you think that that that's reality. And in fact, it's not like things go sideways and you have, you have no idea what you'll run into in some of the, on some of these hunts from different weather conditions. And obviously, um, the animals, of course, it's what, what makes our sport amazing is they have a mind of their own and they don't cooperate. I mean, you look around now, like, uh, and I always get it because guys are like, oh, you shot another great big bull or, oh, you killed this. And it's like, hey, man, you just see the highlight reel. Yeah, I got pictures on my phone of that. Like, you don't see the 20 days behind it. Like, my average average on killing a, a really big bull, I figured out one time. And that's with a couple of curve killers is like 23 days, like between yeah. scouting and hunting. That's a lot of time. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of driving. It's a lot of glassing. It's a lot of hiking. It's a lot of, I mean, you you, you see the picture of a big dead bull, like, oh, that's a highlight reel. Right. I mean, that's, that's the bet you, you got to see only part of it, not the 20 years you've put into, you know, finding and developing these areas and figuring out how your, your, your style and your shooting and all the time, like you just don't see any of that. So it's, it's, it's just kind of funny how it, it, it's not as easy as it looks. I would say, I would say if somebody went and, you know, wanted to come elk hunting with me and, and documented, like they'd be bored out of their mind. It would be a, an absolute ton of work. Um, and it's not like, it's just not fun all the time. Like, that's what makes it great is like, you, you can't know the sweet unless you taste the bitter. Like if every time you rolled out and killed one, it was, it was easy. Like you wouldn't, this sport wouldn't be that great. And it's like, but I don't think enough of the bitter is shown and people know, cause it's like shooting small stuff, like small, easy animals. Like, okay, that's, that's, that's another way to, you know, enhance the highlight reel, but to like actually go out and get what you're after um, it's difficult. It's, it's not it's easy. And, and it's, it's a, it's a solo thing too. Like, I mean, I mostly hunt by myself. I mean, I'll occasionally hunt with other people, but I mean, let's face it. Like there's not enough big stuff to go around for two guys. There's just, well, how long have we been friends and how long we've we been saying, man, we should try to find some kind of hunt where we could go together sometime. And it's yeah. just, they, it's really hard. It's really hard. Yeah. Cause who, who's going to, 
who's going to who's going to shoot the backup one or the little one? I, I just got back from a sheep hunt where my buddy was a primary shooter, my buddy AJ Kissel, and he was trying to get his stone sheep with a bow and did. Um, and that was it was one of the few times where I'm like, ah, cool, I'm fine being the backup. I was glad to tag in on the hunt. Yeah, uh, it was great. But uh, normally that's not like I mean, there's just not that many opportunities at big stuff. And I don't think people, you know, realize that or, or I, I think they do. Once you really start hunting them, you, you realize how difficult it is and, and how much, you know, I mean, yeah, it's a great podcast. How much shooting goes into I mean, I can't tell you how many times I wanted to, you know, throw my bow across my yard shooting this summer because it just like something was you know yeah. it was either me or I had something work loose or i got you know it, it's just it's just you, you don't see any of that you know that's right no it takes hundreds of hours of preparation each year yeah. and and you know tens of thousands of hours over a lifetime yeah. yeah you know one of the hardest things i know you do some guiding as well and you know i i uh you know guided for 17 years in British Columbia, one of the hardest things is managing expectations for hunters because they watch these outdoor TV shows and they watch social media and, you know, you take a moose hunter and, you know, all you see is you you see a couple of setups and riding around in a boat and riding some horses. And then they start calling this, this big old bull and he comes in with his eyeballs rolling in the back of his head and, and you thump him at 15 yards. And they're like, yeah, moose hunting sounds like the most amazing thing in the world. But if you actually go on a moose hunt, and you get six days of hot weather, you will not see a bull moose. You will not. I mean, it is it is so much more difficult than what people expect. And so you have these hunters coming up and you have to somehow educate them that, hey, listen, everything you think you know about moose hunting isn't what it really is. It's actually completely different than you ever thought it would be. And it's, it's 10 times, 100 times as hard as you ever thought it would be. And it's physical and it takes a ton of patience and you're going to get soaking wet and you're going to be whatever else. But managing those expectations um, is, for somebody who hasn't done it is, is quite a task these days because there's so much information out there that's I, it's, it's almost misleading because it only sh- shows a very small part of the story. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's a hundred percent on that. The, the expectations are as well as like, y- you have to be prepared to fail. I mean, that's, I, I advise probably as many people as, as, you know, at Kuyu, I mean, guys are always calling me about sheep hunting, booking trips, big, big trips. I mean, that's, that's really a, a heavy part of my job. And one of the things like, whether it's, you, you know, if you're going bow hunting for some, and, and I just tell everybody, like, you have to be prepared to fail if you're going to do that. Like when you go sheep hunting with a bow, like you have to understand that if you're just going to hunt with your bow, you're not going to have a backup rifle. You're not going to do any of that stuff. Like, you, you know, the, the odds of success are not that high. You, you're, you have to, to really put everything into hunting with a, you know, some of these some of these really hard trips and all this stuff, like you, you have to be prepared to fail. Like you have to understand, like there is so many things that are out of your control. And I just don't, don't think people realize that. I mean, like, like you said, bad weather. I, I mean, it's the number one, like bad weather and, and animal activity. Um, you might not see anything. I mean, it's, right. it's, it's just, that's just how it goes, you know, like, and I, it, that's the beauty of it though. Like I said, you can't know the sweet unless you taste the bitter if, if he, it was just like, oh yeah, there's a mountain full of animals and, and you'll go out and you'll be into them on day one. Like, mm, would you really want to go do it? Well, it, it's nice when that occasionally happens. It's really yeah. nice. <laughs> it's really nice because it does occasionally happen, but it's not the norm. And no, it wouldn't be fun if it happened that way every time. You know, that I guess some people like that. That's why there's high fence hunting, Yeah, you know? Yeah, I mean, I had a, I drew a Wyoming elk tag last year with max points, whatever one, one under max I had. I don't. It was twelve or thirteen, and and drew area seven, really good area. Had really good access to some property that I had sent some hunters on, and they they let me go go hunt. It was it was supposed to be one of those hunts that was just absolutely insane. Should be elk everywhere. Waited all this time or whatever. It was it was a really really tough hunt. It was it was not that great, um, and it was just the weather. It was until like I, I, I hunted basically the first through the 10th and um, the first seven days of the hunt, it averaged well over 90 during the day. And, and, you know, that, those kind of activities, just elk are just not going to be active. And then on, I think September 8th last year, it went to 19 degrees with four to 12 That's inches right. of snow. Yeah, And it's just like, man, you just got to grind through that stuff. You have, you just have to keep going and keep going. It doesn't like, Oh, today's not ideal. Today's not ideal. Well, you know, you just gotta, you just gotta keep going. Cause it, it, it doesn't, 
it, it, they won't kill themselves. You got to, you got to just keep going. And those, those are the type of that. That's when you really know how much you love it is when it totally sucks. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I know you sent me a picture of that great bull you killed there last year. And like, I, I don't see all of that in the picture you send. I think, Oh, awesome. Brendan killed another giant bull. Must've been fun. That's great. Good for him. You know, and it sounds like it was a super tough hunt. Crazy tough hunt. Um, made a poor hit when I, you know, I only found one bull in the entire time in 10 days that I, that I considered oh, wow. a shooter. He's about, he's right at 360 and, uh, no bugling activity whatsoever. I mean, obviously the weather was terrible and I, I stalked him like a mule deer in some cliffs. Um, he's whirled when I shot him. You shot, you him. stalked an elk bedded in some cliffs. Yep. Yeah. That's super with, cool. Yeah. He's better with just like a mule deer. I mean, he would, they were yeah. just, they were just, they were in summer, summer or late, like, that, that big snowstorm came in and they basically turned into like late winter. They were living on this plateau and glasses pull yeah. up and, and they, you know, during the day walked down, you know, six inches of snow bedded in this cliff and slid in there. Um, you know, he, he, like I had kind of a window to shoot through a world when I shot, didn't hit him super great, left him, left him overnight. Um, um I mean, I, I owe the whole thing to my, my buddy AJ tracked him for a mile and a half. Um, we end up recovering the bull the next day, which was a, a, a miracle. And and when I, you know, everybody's had one, like, I haven't had a lot of those happen where you just like absolutely luck into finding one too. You know, it's like, not only do you like terrible hunting, not that great of a shot, um, just persistent, stay after, and then just get lucky finding them. It's just like, oh, well, Ugh, you, you don't geez. see any of that. And, no. and you know, so, the, but that's, that's why you do it. I'm sure if I'd have been there 10 days later, it would have been insane and elk everywhere. And you know, that's, that's, they don't, they don't always go great. That's the beauty of it. And that, and that, that truly lies. That's where the challenge lies. Like that's why it's, yeah. that's why it's fun. Well, okay. So if I step back and I'm listening to this podcast and let's say, you know, I'm, I'm a young hunter or I'm a guy with a lot of experience, say hunting whitetail and I've never been on these, these crazy hunts you're talking about, you know, sheep and, an elk and, and moose, whatever, whatever we're talking about. And, and I, and I hear these guys, well, they're talking about all these things that can go wrong. Like this hunt could literally go thousands of directions from day one and everything I plan and prepare for, I might end up just completely having to improvise out there. And, you know, and I'm, and I'm trying to prepare myself for this hunt, but then I hear this podcast and, and I'm like, how can you possibly pre prepare for something that you have no clue what's going to happen, um, that we can make all the plans in the world and likely they're, you know, whatever it is, the weather, the conditions, the animals, it completely gets thrown out the window. How, what would you say, Brendan, to somebody, how would you prepare for that? I mean, what, what are the ways to prepare for what you don't even know how to prepare for? Well, there's a couple things you can do. One, you can, you can control everything you can control. So like the stuff that you can control, like, being in shape, being a good shot, knowing where you're going. Like, you know, like you've got all of the Having good equipment. There. Yeah. You've got good equipment, all that, like, like the food, the, you know, your, your plant, where you're staying, like how you're camping, like all the kind of stuff that like you control everything. It's broken control. in all the, yeah. all those little things. I mean, any of those go wrong and it's on you. You yeah, go out and yeah. get completely blistered up day one. Okay. Well, you know that you could have avoided that. Yeah, you control everything you can control, and then you just have to be prepared for things are going to change. It's not going to be what you think it is, and it it's it happens to me all, all the time. Even on on you know as many times I've been on you know unsupported backpack hunts or brown bears or all this kind of stuff. Like you you, you just have to prepare for what you don't know, and you have to realize that it's probably going to work out differently than you think. It could be way better. It might be way worse. Um, and by worse, I mean just like more of a challenge. Like you're gonna have to grind through. It's gonna be tough. Like I I, I think. I think the, 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 the fun aspect or like one, like for bow hunting for me, like it's never social. Like I, I think nowadays, like everything seems to be like, it's like a social gathering for bow hunting. Like that's never been a part of my bow hunting, um, whatsoever. Like it's, it's highly unsocial, like lonely, like right. e even when you're with a guide or, or whatever, like it's, it's just like, you have to, you just have to, you have to grind and do it. Like it's, it's your it's you're you're burying what you what you're i mean it's it's your it's your hunt so you're the one that's going to bear most of that and and the, you just got to control the things that you can control you have to be in good shape 
good shot and then and then react to what happens you know and that's and that's what makes it great i think i think you know part of what you're saying there and the way i'd say it is is you have to be mentally prepared to be patient and to suffer and to be bored and to be physically tested to your limits and 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 potentially facing you know halfway through the hunt you haven't even seen something that you could shoot or would want to shoot and you have to just have the ability to keep going and stay positive. So it's really sort of a, a mental toughness and mental preparation. You know, yeah. I've had, as an outfitter, I've had, and I'm sure you've seen this many times too, you know, I've, I've had an, an older guy come up who's not in good shape and doesn't have the best equipment, but they're tremendously mentally tough and they're willing to do whatever it takes to get that job done. And I've had like a young gym dude come up that's in like tip top shape with all the best gear in the world. And they're like a mental noodle and yep. they don't know, like they don't know how to handle, you know, the unknown and the uncertainty and the, the torture and all of the things you're going through and they break down. And I would so much like, I know we say, look, control everything you can control, but that mental preparation and, and hardness I would take that any day over all the other types of toughness there are out there. 100%, like no doubt about it. I've, I've, I've helped guys, uh, like I've seen guys like that fold. I mean, it was funny. The outfitter friend of mine was, this guy was sending, you know, pictures during his training for the year of, you know, doing clean and jerks with his shirt off in his, in his, in his driveway and, you know, shredded out of his mind. And like, and like he was doing it for himself to pump himself up. Right. And I get that. And I told him, I said, that dude's going to fold like, Superman on wash day. Like I can, you can just tell. And then I've, I've helped guys kill their, finish their grand slam. Like I took a guy, we went out on, on Tiburon Island in, in uh, Mexico to finish his, he finished his grand slam. And this guy was hunting desert sheep and jeans and sketchers. And he was just not fast, just mentally, like you could not break this dude. He was just as tough as you could possibly get. And I would take mental, exactly. I would take mental toughness over, over, uh, you know, you know, over somebody that's got themselves convinced than over anything. Cause it's just, yeah, yeah you're, you're just, you just got to push through. And, and I think one of the things too, is, is knowing what your expectations truly are. Like you, you hear it all the time, guys, like, man, I, I like it's three fifty bull or nothing. It's like, is it really like, man, you haven't killed any big elk at all. Like right. it doesn't have to be three fifty or nothing. Like every, like if a three fifty steps in front of you, and we're talking elk, then yeah, anybody's going to shoot it. But like, is that really what your expectations are? Like, or you just really want to get an elk, like kill a nice bull and have a great hunt, fill the freezer. Like, I mean, I think part of it is knowing your expectations. I mean, you and I have different expectations. I mean, you're, you're on a quest for a, a Boone and Crockett doll sheep. I wasn't I, like, it took me 50 days to kill a doll ram with my bow. I, I was looking for a really old, good looking doll ram. Like that, that was my goal. I, I put a lot of time into it like you have, but like, our expectations were different. I, you know, big, big, full curl, awesome sheep stoked with that. It was, it, it's not necessarily what you're looking for. And that's just knowing your own expectations, right. what's going to make you happy. I mean, my, my sheep, um, you know, it, it depends on the area and what you're doing all stuff, but you know, knowing what you're truly, what you'd be happy with. Like, I think guys, a lot of times will go into stuff like that and go like, uh, you know, everybody wants to shoot the world record. You don't have to tell anybody that <laughs> like, we're all looking for the big ones. But like, what will truly make you happy? Like when I'm hunting with my son, uh, you know, like we get a doe that walks in front of the blind and I'm super happy with that. Cause he's going to uh, see that. He's going to have that experience or whatever. Yeah. If I'm hunting by myself, flying. I'm, I'm hunting elk on day yeah. 25, like, and a three forty bull standing in front of me, like, that's just not what I'm looking for. Right. So I think it's really just knowing what would make you happy. Now, well said, man. Yeah. Defining your expectations and being clear with yourself and the people you're hunting with, you know, I, 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 I'll a lot of times tell an outfitter my expectation of, of the hunt and, and not, not in a way to put pressure on him, but in a way to say, Hey, just so you know, this is what I'm looking for. And I'm okay. If I don't shoot something, it's not this. And they don't believe me. They oh, literally me. don't believe me because yeah. they get lied to every single day by people oh, saying, yeah. Hey, here's what I want. And, and it's never real. It's 99% of the time the hunter doesn't really know what he wants or what he's once the pressure's on and the physical exhaustion sets in and the mental uh, 
strain and the uncertainty and all of those things, all of a sudden the guy looking for the 165 doll sheep is perfectly happy with the 150 doll sheep because of all of those things. They're not, they're not clear in their own mind. So nobody will believe me when I actually tell them what I'm after until like we get to know each other quite well. Yeah. yeah. Then they're fine. Like, Oh, I think I get it now. You know, um, that's very interesting. Uh, so let me ask you this. So what, you know, if I'm, if I'm a guy listening to this podcast and I'm like, Hey, this all makes sense. What can I do to prepare myself? Um, what, um, who should I listen to? You know, there's, there's a lot of information out there and, and some of it's, there's some great information out there and there's some bad information. How, how do you sort through that? Well, I, I basically say the same thing to anybody. Like, you don't have to call me. You don't have to call Alan Bowen. You don't like, but like, listen to people that have done it. Like, it's either going to be a guide outfitter, a guy that's had a ton of experience, or somebody that's actually done it. Like, th- there is a pile of horrible information out there right now. Like, there's more regurgitation of stolen um, experience and facts out there available that you can re- listen to, whether it's podcasts or online or, or social media stuff like i mean there is a pile of people handing out advice that they heard from somebody else so right. my number one thing is like if you're going to call somebody about what you want to accomplish call someone and talk to someone that's accomplished it like you, you you know like if you're learning how to shoot free throws you would not call somebody that did not play basketball if you were taking financial advice you wouldn't take financial advice from somebody that's bankrupt you know, if you're, you know, when you're trying to be a ladies man, you would not call a dude that had never been on a date. So make sure you're talking to somebody that's done, and not just that that's done it because, you know, ac- the accomplishment of having, you know, ha- having actually done what you're doing, it, it you you can't replicate that. You can you can listen to as many stories or you can I, I call it conceptual knowledge. There's a lot of stuff out there that people are like, this is what I would do if I was given that opportunity. And that means nothing. Okay. Right. Like this is because I, I, and I can say I, I've been a victim of that myself. Like I've had an idea. I've known like, this is what I'm going to do when I get this opportunity. And then I get there and it's like, oh man, was I wrong? Like, you know, for, for example, you know, one of the, one of the great examples with you and I have talked about a lot is like your archery setup on big bears. Like there's right. some horrific information about, and, and again, we can say that we've both killed giant grizzly bears and giant brown bears with a bow. We have the experience. Like between us, we've killed, let's say, four of the top 50 bears ever killed with a bow. That's probably the truth, right? Like yeah. Between us? I mean. Yeah, sure. So we have the experience to say that, that and, and I've got the experience from a lot of people having failures, including my first brown bear failure back in 2003 of you know, there's a lot of poor knowledge about arrow setups and archery setups. Like everybody wants to throw these house logs at giant bears and they don't understand. Like you have to have a, a shootable setup that is good from, let's just say, tw- you know, 10 to 50 yards. And it's got to have some flexibility. And Accuracy and, and is key. Accuracy is the absolute. Where you key. hit is the most important factor, period. Then <laughs> I would rather have... I mean, I would rather hit something dead perfect with a mechanical broadhead and a 350 grain arrow than make a terrible shot with a 600 grain arrow and this perfect, you know, cut on contact. Accuracy, the point of impact is your number one most important variable. You are not going to knock one over with an arrow. And so like, and and this is from failures and success, like having a very forgiving shooting setup because here's a couple things you don't realize until you really start thinking about when you're hunting those great big bears you can't stop them like they are a dangerous animal like when that when that bear steps out at the range it's not like going and you're going to go ahead and give it to them like let you can't let one of those bears know where you're at so you have to like whether it's 27 yards or 34 yards like you have to have a setup that is going to allow some flexibility for you to make a quality shot and like i i you know, some of these guys are shooting, you know, six, seven, eight hundred grain arrows with these these setups that they were advised by somebody who's never killed a brown bear with their bow. And then all of a sudden they get a 40 yard shot and they think it's 35 and they're, you know, they maim it and have to kill it with a gun. And, and they're like and these are that's not hypothetical. That happened multiple times last year with great big setups with the same outfit that we're talking about. Well, and, and, then and Brendan, that happened to me three months ago. 
my bear, so when we were, when we set up on my bear, there were two trails on either side of us and we were sure he was going to come down one of those two trails and we had a few minutes and he was going to be there. And we're watching these trails and I see out of the corner of my eye brush moving right in front of me, like in front of my face. And so I immediately have to turn my entire body and move to the side from this bush. And there's no time to range. And this bear steps out facing me, looking right at me. And I think it's probably 28 yards or something like that. So I use my top pin. Turns out he was 35 yards. Now I'm shooting... 298 feet per second, a 410 grain arrow with 17% FOC. And because I'm shooting fast and accurate and all of these things, the fact that I was off in yardage didn't matter. I clobbered them right through the heart. And it was, I mean, it was game over, but had I been shooting some giant, uh, 600 grain arrow setup, I, I, it would have hit four or five inches, six inches. I don't know. It wouldn't have been good. It would not have been good. And, uh, so a perfect example of what you're talking about on the other side of when it works because you had the right type of setup. Now, people can say, people listening to this say, I would never shoot an arrow that light on a brown bear. Okay, well, have you done it? And exactly. and have you, exactly, and I'm telling you, I've done it. That My arrow hit the front of his chest. He was facing me, hit the front of his chest and exited back by its hip and I could never find the arrow. It blew through him so far. It shot the length of his body. It went so far, I never could find the arrow. So, I mean, tell me I had a penetration problem. Like, obviously, yeah, I, mean, I, I didn't. So I'm shooting like 450 grains, um, 292. I like a cut-on-contact broadhead. But, like, again, this is just, you know, this is the minutia of it. But, like, right. the, the bottom line is it needs to be forgiving. I mean, the big the, the big grizzly bear I killed, um, not the giant brown bear, but the grizzly bear, um, he was coming parallel to me. And it was, like, started out at 35 yards and ended up in the 20s and kind of was leaning in and out with, like, this bear had was all chewed up and he was on the track of a female uh, like and I was basically by myself by, you know, good amount of yardage. And like you grunted that bear, you stop him um, and you got a range find him or you get caught like it. it, it he's either going to be totally gone or he's coming for you. One, one yeah, or the other. He's so going like, to get a bullet. That, that's the problem. Yeah, he's going to get a bullet. You can't let these things know where you are. Yeah. yeah. And there's a reason yeah. like, for example, I shot at 35 and didn't wait for him to get to 20 with him facing me, like he would see me draw. There's all these things that, and you don't want a bear to see you draw at 20 yards and see you shoot because when that impact happens, he could decide, Hey, I'm going to take care of this threat. And then he gets a bullet. So there's so many different factors that come into that game. But the point is, I think the point in how we got on this is, is listen to people who have actually done something. Yeah. This all this hypothetical knowledge out there. Yeah, my yeah, I, I call it conceptual knowledge because there's tons of guys like here's how I would do a backpack. Here's here's you know here here's what I would do or here's what, yeah I'm planning this trip and I'm doing. I see it all the time with sheep guys. They're going on their first trip and they spend uh, two weeks telling everybody on social media what they're going to take gear wise or something. It's like dude, you don't you don't you don't have the knowledge to like that's great and that's a that's a learning experience for you. But trust me, you know I, I just got done with my uh, close to thirtieth unsupported backpack hunt I just did in the Yukon 10 days or whatever. I'm still learning stuff all the time. Like, Oh, I'll probably leave that or take that. So it's like, there's enough knowledge out there based on experience and accomplishment that you don't need to listen to people that haven't done it. And it's not that they don't, it's not dismissive, but like, it's one of those things right now. And, And the Brown bear thing, the reason I bring that up is like, that's, that's one of those where it can be really a, a really costly mistake. Like those are expensive they're expensive opportunities. They're rare opportunities because, uh, you know, I'll tell you a, a story. In, in 2003, I shot a, I, the first time I ever hunted brown bear, had no idea what I was doing. I, uh, I ended up shooting a bear at close range, head on, wasn't prepared for the setup, ended up having to kill it with a gun. And it pissed me off for 15 years till I killed, finally killed a big one with my <laughs> right. bow. And it was like consequence. Just, you had 15 years flat, of regret. I just flat was not prepared mentally my bow set up, like I just flat wasn't prepared. I, I, I had it in my mind. I thought I knew what it was going to be like, and I had no idea. And I just, I didn't, I didn't even know who to, to, to talk to back in those days. But I I would just say like, if you're going to get advice, like there is enough highly, it's not just you and I, I mean, there's, there are some highly accomplished archers out there, tons of them. Most of them you haven't heard of. Most of them aren't on social media. Um, like, but just, just get, but wait, get wait, 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 are you telling me it's possible, Brendan, that somebody with 50,000 plus followers 
wouldn't have real knowledge about something? It's definitely possible. Really? I, I, would, I would say it's high. It's, it's, it's pro and you know what? Everybody's doing their own thing. And every, I thought like, that meant they're credible. That, okay. No, seriously though. What's the difference? Let's, let's answer this question. What's the difference between credibility and reach? Um, my favorite, favorite quote of all time is don't confuse activity with accomplishment. So interesting. That, that, that's, that's my favorite quote. Cause there's a lot of people that are active. They're just doing lots of stuff. They're, they're showing you lots of stuff. They're doing lots of stuff. That's great or everything. But what have you done? Like you, you, you are your level of accomplishment. That's what you are. Like if you, right. you, you know, you, it's just, that's just, if you've done it, you've done it. Some people like to show people more than others. I'm not saying that guys that have a ton of followers aren't credible. I'm saying there's a lot of guys that have a, a big following and, 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 or, or are out there like, dying to put stuff out. I mean, plagiarizing information with that. There's there, you just need to know how to sort through it. Like, right. You know, don't confuse activity with yeah. accomplishment. Yeah. I mean, frankly, the, the people that I would call for advice, in fact, the, the very first time I went brown bear hunting and I was looking at different arrow and broadhead setups and I was, and I was getting, I was getting actually some pressure, uh, from my guide to bring a certain setup that I didn't agree with. And you know who I called? I called you. And you don't, you, you're not putting stuff on social media. I called Frank Noska. He's not putting yeah. stuff on social media. I mean, th these are the people I reached out to, to have conversations with. Um, you know, I, I talked to Kevin Wilkie, you know, yeah. I, I mean, these are the guys I talked to. Uh, Matt Bateman is another guy I called and yeah. uh, he's, he works at Grim Reaper Broadhead. So, I mean, he hears so many stories from so many people about what worked and what doesn't as far as broadheads are concerned. And so anyway, and I pieced together a lot of information. So I didn't think, first of all, lesson number one is I didn't assume I knew everything. Lesson number two is I, I didn't, I didn't necessarily go with one person's opinion when my guide said, Hey, I want you to bring a 600 grain arrow and a cut on contact broadhead. Cause that's what he told me. And, and I didn't feel comfortable with that because I was, I was concerned about accuracy. What if I'm five yards off in my range estimation? What if the bear's moving? What if we can't range? And you were it, correct. Just, it, you were it concerns correct. me. It concerned me. Yeah. And so I got on the phone and I called five or six different people that have a bunch of experience in this kind of thing. And I was able to put together a plan. And when I got to camp, my outfitter said, how much is your arrow weight? I said, 600 grains, bro. And he didn't have a scale. <laughs> Believe it or not, he didn't have a scale. <laughs> yeah. No, it anyway. is. It's just one. Of, it's that's just one of those things where, like, there is a lot of really great knowledge out there. There's probably there's probably never been a time in history where there's more great knowledge out there. You just need to. It's really hard to sort through what is actually the great knowledge. Like, it's more difficult to sort through what is what is authentic and what is real and what's been, you know, like I said, what's what's been borrowed or and, and 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 you know i don't think people are intentionally trying to mislead people everybody you know they're trying to spread information and stuff but you know again you, the the component of have you done it um definitely is is lacking yeah. so yeah i, and, I agree and, most people have good intentions yeah but yeah, it doesn't I mean, mean it's, it's right it doesn't mean it's right yeah. yeah yeah so the other day i was i was shooting i was actually at um total archery challenge and um i was with the hoyt group and there was a young guy with us and, um, and I really respect this, this kid. He's, I mean, he's whatever he's in his early twenties. And, um, I mean, he's, he's a hard hunter. He's a smart guy. He knows a ton about archery. He's a great shot. He works really, really hard. And he asked me, he said, Hey, Alan, what, what advice would you give me to, um, become a, a credible source in, in bow hunting? Like, I want to be credible. I want to be legitimate because this guy also notices that there are quite a few, like, sources of information that lack credibility. And so he, he asked me that question. I'm curious. I, I'll tell you how I answered the question, but I'm curious, what would you say to him? How, how could you actually become a credible source? I mean, he's 23 I mean, years old. He doesn't know everything yet. I mean, not anybody ever knows everything, but he has, he wants to, over the next 10 years, he wants to gain the right experiences and position his knowledge in the right way to actually be, you know, what, what, he, what he envisions. Yeah. I mean, you just need time in the field experience and, and get, take advantage of every opportunity that you get, including like, I mean, I spent my twenties. So I spent a lot more time going with people that had good opportunities than I did uh, hunting for myself, especially like when it came to sheep and all these, you know, like I went on a lot of hunts with other people like, Hey, I just want to go. I, you know, like I got into guiding sheep by just flat ass being out there, glassing up sheep, being in good areas and, and, and finding rent. Like you just, you got to go out and spend the time. It's, it's going to be, you know, it's not glamorous, 
to, to get to that point, you got to, you, you know, I spent the better part of my entire 20s, hundreds and hundreds of days putting a boot track everywhere in Montana that has elk to, to figure out where, where big bulls are. And like, and, and in the meantime, you, you kill enough elk to where all of a sudden you're, you're a credible resource about elk. Um, you, you can't, there, there's no way to bypass the hard work and there's no way to bypass like the, the, you know, the accomplishment factor. You have to go do it. I mean, that, that's what, that's what I would say. So and, and time just, in the field and, and experience in, is what you're saying. Yeah. Just, and just keep yeah. it in perspective too. Like what actually is an expert? Like, what well, I mean, those like, I mean, there, there's two things going on in hunting right now, in my opinion, there's, there's, there's people that are hunting and then there's, there, there's the whole realm that is like this. There's, there's a difference between popularity and hunting and they're actually don't coincide well with each other. I mean, there are some amazing guys that are practicing the craft of popularity. They work hard at it, like really hard at it. Like they're, yeah, they're, they're there to like, it. they want everybody to know, like the, the, the craft of popularity and the craft of hunting are counterintuitive. They don't actually like, it takes a lot of time alone working on your setups, doing all your stuff to like, th they're two opposite things. So just don't get confused of the, of the two. And obviously, you know, take, from me, like I'm not a big social media guy, whatever. It doesn't matter to me and not saying it's bad or not. Like it depends on what your goals are, but like that is definitely a, it, you can work super, super hard at one and the other, but it's, it's hard to do both a lot, I would say. So I, right. I would say to him, like, man, you just got to put the experience in like, and, and you know, we, it, it also too, you have to, it, it's all relative. Like, you and I grew up in a time where there were far more opportunities. You have to take advantage of the opportunities you get now. I, I'm to the point now where like I'm on one cycle of drawing a lot of tags, but you know, I basically have 18 points everywhere. And if you'd have told me when I was 23 that 18 points was not enough to draw anything, I would say you were crazy. But like things are changing. So like the the opportunities that are that I used to have, which were far more, and I get it, like somebody look at it and go like, man, there's a lot of big elk in your garage. It's like, yeah, I've had a lot of great opportunities. It was a lot easier to get on property. Like for example, right, right now in Montana, like if you knock on a if you knocking on doors will not get you access, period, end of story. Those days have have sailed. Like somebody's already hunting there. Like, I mean, right. Of the last hundred doors I've knocked on, I've maybe got permission once. It's it's hardly not even worth it anymore. Um, you gotta have an in. And that's just looking at the facts straight. Guys like, oh, I'm gonna drive out, I'm gonna go knock on a bunch of doors, or uh, you know, like it just doesn't happen that much anymore. It's yeah. like drawing tags, yeah. like it, or drawing super hard permits. Like if you're starting now with zero points, man, I'd, I'd be just saving money, you know, like, so, so just realizing that it's always changing, you know, the, the whole, the game that we're playing is always changing, you know? Yeah. Well said. So, so there's nothing that can replace experience. Nothing Not that can re, it can replace time in the field. There's no amount of reading and research or anything you can do that replaces time with boots on the ground. And, you know, you're saying that, you know, in, in your 20s, you would go whenever you could go, you would go. Even if you didn't have the tag, you would go sheep hunting, you go elk hunting, anything you could do to be out there helping buddies, observing, all of that. That's That's really interesting. So what kind of like... You know, I mean, that was obviously a really big priority to you in your life. And I mean, most of that you didn't get paid for. You were just doing it, you know. So, I mean, what kind of support system do you need to make that happen? Well, the, that's, that's you. I mean, you bring up a, a good point. I, I'll tell you this, like, if you want to do this, you know, as far as like the stuff that we do, I mean, I, and I'm not, I'm going to speak for you because I, I don't, you don't even have to yeah. ask you, but like, you do need a great support system. Um, when I was in my, you know, single guy in my 20s, you know, whether it's your family or just having the free time and, and going, that's one thing. But now like, you know, we're in our forties now I've got kids and a wife, like if, if your support system at home, it, like my wife totally understands me and totally gets me. And like, there's not a lot of, I would say women that could live or, or, or may be able to tolerate, like we're, we're probably one really other. hard. I know <laughs> one other. <laughs> we're, we're pretty hard to live with because it's, it is a huge priority. It's, it's a passion that, you know, takes everything in your life and, and you have to have somebody that's, that's got the rest of your life covered for you in the, in the background too. So like, obviously you, you need a great support system and like, and, and it's, it's probably number one. I mean, you, you probably yeah. could be a bad shot with your bow, but if you had somebody that was supporting your habit, you'd be, you'd be a lot better <laughs> off. So that's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big deal. And, and I think it's probably one of those things that doesn't get said enough that, you know, obviously your family and, and uh, we're just talking between us, but all of the guys that I know that are really, really successful have 
you have that kind of a support system that that is absolutely there for them and and make sure that they can do everything they need to do and it's 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 you know great friends as well that you know like i mean it's it's a it can be a lonely thing and it can be a you know it's it's and a lot of people don't understand it. it's not like enjoying watching football it's it's a different right. hobby no it's very it's very active for sure i mean you have to be engrossed and you're not observing you're doing and yeah to be and it's expensive i mean it it's, is, it's, yeah. it's, it's time I mean, consuming even, like, and expensive yeah, yeah time is money i mean no matter how you look at it i mean like yeah. in my in you know when i was younger in my 20s i had far more time than money and i spent a lot more time and now when you get older you have more money than time and those experience but it, it's still important to uh you know to to make sure that you're using the best your time to your best ability and that's you know that like when you said the young guy asking you about that i would say you know you can bypass a lot of mistakes that you and I made nowadays. Like there is a lot of good information out there sure. from the right yep. people. Like you can, you can bypass a ton. The gear is far better. The shooting information is incredible. Like, I mean, you, you, I was a horrible shot cause I just flat didn't know. I didn't have anybody that would, that could mentor me or, you know, develop bad habits and shooting. Like there's not, you know, there's a lot of good information out there now where yeah. you can be a great shot right off the bat because there's so much great information out there. Yeah. And the equipment's so good. Yeah. Th there's definitely, and I think as, as far as the support system goes, that the advice I would give to people on that is when you're home, you need to make your support system the absolute priority and put them first and really do, do your job to the maximum, you know, be as helpful as you can and really put, put them and their needs first, and then have a lot of communication about why you want to do what you want to do and what it does for you in your life. And like when Brendan says, my wife understands me, well, she understands him because they've talked a lot about it and, and yeah. he's been able to express what it means to him in his life to be able to do this stuff. And then she's decided that she's going to get on board with that. But all of that stuff needs to happen, you know? Um, so what I told the, uh, the guy who asked me that question is I told him to guide because because the most right credited right. people, the most yeah. credible people I know on planet earth period are the guides. Yeah. Like they, they, they blow us away. I mean, the guides, the guides who are spending, you know, four to six months a year guiding people in the field and they've been doing it for 20 years. Those guys have instincts that have built up that are just, yeah. they're irreplaceable. And, um, and so that's, that's what I said. Hey man, if you can possibly guide, guide. Because if you, you know, you spend a decade guiding, you're going to be a completely different person. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's not always totally realistic. Um, and, and there, there are disadvantages to that, to that career too, because you're now working during hunting season instead of hunting. And so there, you know, there's, there's drawbacks to that path, but if you just want to gain experience and credibility, there's no faster way in my opinion. Oh, and that's absolutely the case too. And I like for me, sheep hunting, like, like all my experience came early through guiding and scouting and all like, like for, for sure. You just, yeah. you can't, you'll never have the opportunities to become a great sheep hunter unless you find another Avenue to practice that craft. I mean, there's just, you, right. you have to go out. I mean, there's, you'll, you'll never draw enough tags to be a great sheep hunter. That's just, True. Not happen. <laughs> yeah. you know, so you have to find another, another way, whether it's scouting or hunting or, you know, like going with other people that's being involved. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I, I would say too, like, man, it's going to happen how it's going to happen. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't put too much into like becoming credible. Like you, you're, you know, like if you just do the right thing and work as hard as you can at it, like it comes it, naturally. It'll happen. That's yeah, right. It'll That's true. You don't have to stress about it. It will happen. Yeah. yeah. Well said. Well, we're kind of winding down on time here, but I wanted to ask you real quick, what, what boat are you shooting this year? I'm shooting the RX-5. Um, yep. I'm shooting like 435 grain arrow, I think nice. with a 292. Um, what I've do you got about a 29 inch draw? Uh, 28 and three quarter. Yep. Okay. Yep. yep. So, right yeah. And I'm, and uh, it, how's it uh, shooting for you? It's great. Super yeah. quiet. Um, I'm, I'm running probably, I'm running my bow setup is probably just a little bit heavier than I normally do. Like the actual bow itself. Mm -hmm. Um, Wilkie put a sidebar on it when he set it up for me and I, yep. I actually, never ran one before and I'm, 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 I'm liking the way I shoot with it. So, yeah. um, yeah, it's, it's a good, it's a, it I have a lot of getting confidence used in to it that right extra now. weight. Does yeah, it at it does. first, when you first yeah. pick it up, you're like, geez, I don't want to hold this thing up. 
but as you get in shape for it, it starts to, so let me ask you this. What's your favorite Hoyt of all time? Like, and, and not that you would necessarily shoot it today, but when it like that year, you're like, man, I love this bow. I just shot it yesterday. Um, I've got two, the original, the first carbon, I have one bow that I wish I had never taken down. The, the, the best shooting bow, I think it was just fitted perfectly to me was the first, the first carbon bow they ever came out with. That didn't, was it didn't, you the know, element. It, it was probably it was. Yeah. It might it have been. It had the red yeah. circle on it, but that bow was phenomenal. But like, I've got a, a Defiant that I got in late of 2015 that I've killed uh, my sheep with. And I I, I, I still antelope hunt with it. I, I shot it yesterday. I love it. Like this bow just, I, I will Very never, nice. I don't even want to replace a string on it. I just baby this thing. It's just, it's it's in phenomenal <laughs> shape and it's all scratched up. I shot my goat with the last year. I, like, um, Oh, that's it, amazing. It, yeah. I, I, it's just, you know, just one of those bows where, and I've learned, I learned that lesson the hard way, like really good shooting bows. I don't take them down. I don't get rid of them. I keep them. Like I've got three of them in my garage now that are just sitting there like in case you need an extra or whatever, but like I, I never let them go. I don't take parts off them. I leave them how they are. And, you know, maybe down the road, something, you know, once I got six other backups, but like the really good shooting ones, I never get rid of them. Oh, that's awesome. You know, uh, funny enough, the only old used Hoyt I have is a Defiant. I shot my stone sheep with the, with that Defiant, and my son has killed a couple animals with it since then. And it's I, that that was a great bow. Yeah, yeah, very nice. Yeah, yeah, and I I I just I haven't shot an aluminum bow in forever. I I shoot I like the carbon bows because I mean mainly I just I don't like having a cold hand. Right. As funny as yeah. it sounds, like I just I don't even try the other ones, but. No, I have a lot of confidence in my bow right now. It's uh, it's shooting well. I've shot it a lot, and and uh, those are famous last words. I better find some wood. Uh, yeah, in. don't ever say that. Yeah, I'm actually yeah. shooting the Ventum this year, which is the first time I've shot aluminum in a while, and I really like it. But obviously, <laughs> I couldn't have gone wrong with the with the RX5 either. So yeah. Well, right on, man. Hey, you know what, Burns? This was fun, dude. Good stuff. Yeah. As always, you have uh, you're very articulate in 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 describing really powerful ideas. So I'm sure everybody who listened to this loved it. I know I, I loved uh, being on here with you. So thanks, well, I like buddy. Listening to him and yeah, I appreciate you having me on and uh, yeah, good, good luck, whatever you got coming up and I'm, uh, thanks, I'm about to disappear. So should be good. Yeah. Good luck. We'll, we'll share right. war stories later, man. See All ya. Right, man. Catch you later. Bye.